Hello and welcome to The Connected Generation. My name is Nika Anani and I am your host. Here on The Connected Generation, we explore all things legacy wealth and legacy businesses, how you can build businesses and wealth that would outlive the founder and have sustained impact, not only over time, but also over space. And we invite guests from all over the world, both legacy business owners and expert teachers to share a thing or two in an environment of authenticity, curiosity and vulnerability. This week, I was joined by Elizabeth Bagger. Elizabeth is the founder of Avanti Family Business Advisory, which supports family businesses on their journey towards harmonious family dynamics, stronger governance and next generation engagement. Elizabeth comes with an interesting perspective as a second generation owner. So she has the insider lens. She joined her family business straight out of university and grappled with her integration journey, but found her purpose, found her contribution to the family enterprise and came out the other side, decided to leave to really dedicate her work to the family enterprise space around family governance and family dynamics. So we had a really, really interesting conversation and I'd encourage you to tune in. Hi, Elizabeth. Welcome to The Connected Generation. It's awesome to have you. Hi, Nikki. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. I'm excited to learn more about your journey. Um, today, you are the founder of Avanti Family Business Advisory, um, but I'd love to hear more about how you got to where you are today. Thank you very much. So I started my working life working for our family business. Um, it uh, wasn't necessarily my plan originally, but it, it happened and I spent eight pretty happy years working in the family business. Then I, I moved away from where the business is based and uh, started working in corporate governance. Was there for a few years and then found an organization called the Institute for Family Business, a membership organization that supports family businesses. And I just fell in love with the membership and knew I had found my home working with and amongst family businesses. And it just felt like a natural progression to then establish my own advisory firm to to work more closely with individual family businesses. Incredible. I'd love to go back to your experience um, working in your family business. Can you share more about that? Yeah, of course. So I actually joined the business uh, the last year at uni. I was working there part-time and quite enjoyed it and felt that um, it was not a a bad place to be. So when my dad asked me if I wanted to join full-time after uni, I jumped at the chance. It was um, familiar and something I knew how to do. And also it, it was less scary than going out in the big world and uh, and uh, working with people I didn't know. So that felt uh, felt quite safe and felt quite good and very familiar. And, and I really liked the people, many of whom are still there to this day. So um yeah, it was it was a good it was a good uh, time, and I learned a lot about myself as well as um, the world of work. And I left with a feeling of having made a contribution to the business, but it took me a few years to get there. I think I was sort of finding my mm. feet, a bit nervous about whether I was there for the right reasons and all that kind of stuff in the early years. 
Um, and then when I moved into marketing in the, in the business, then I started to find my feet a bit more and, and felt good about my contribution. But, you know, I think many next geners um, might ask themselves at times, you know, am I here because of what I can contribute or because of my last name or my family relationship and so on? And, and I was certainly no different. Right. Mm. I'd love to unpack a few things you've said so far. And that was the first one that jumped out of me was you mentioned, I guess, the draw to the family business was that it was familiar. It was less scary than the big world. Can you can you share more about that? Yeah. So I had very little work experience leaving university. And I think it felt a little daunting to have to go out and find out what I was going to do and what I was going to be. Uh, so so when I was given mm. the opportunity to carry on in the business doing similar things to what I've been doing part-time it it just it felt it felt familiar and and that felt good to me at that time and um, it wasn't that I didn't want to challenge myself but I think I was uh, uh, perhaps just not ready for the big world just yet so I felt very very lucky to be able to make a gentle transition <laughs> into the world of work in that way but obviously over time you mm. get to realize that you, you want to be more than safe. You want to feel like you have a purpose. You want to make a genuine contribution. You want to make a difference where you are and so on. So it became a bit of a, a journey um, towards towards that as well. Mm. And, and you mentioned that you learned a lot about yourself. What, what, what did that experience teach you? It taught me a number of things. Um, one of them was, of course, that um, I uh, was a little bit risk averse when it came to career choices. So uh, that was interesting. I had never really thought about that until I was in it. I also learned that I was um, really deeply, profoundly looking for a sense of purpose that came fairly quickly um, and, and mm. continued for a long, long time. Actually, when I worked in corporate governance, uh, I liked the job, but I had kind of lost that sense of purpose a little bit that I had had working for my family. And I, I rediscovered that mm. purpose when I then started to work with other family businesses. When you are a next gener, I think it's natural to be a little bit um, nervous about whether you're good enough for you, what other people expect, are they going to look at you different and so on. So there was a lot of questions I was asking myself about myself um, which I think mm. have sort of been useful. They were perhaps tricky questions at the time, but they've certainly fueled a sort of a lifelong uh, interest in, in personal development. Mm. And you mentioned also that um, by the time you'd left your family business, you left with a feeling of having left some kind of contribution um, after a couple of years of trying to find your feet, I guess, to what do you attribute you being able to find your feet? I think it was a number of things. One of them was a deep desire to make a contribution, like it was a, perhaps a little bit of a restlessness as well, that I definitely couldn't leave without mm. feeling that I had done something of value. Um, and I also wanted to to be something more than just a family member. I wanted people to look at me as a colleague. So I spent a lot of time thinking about those right. things and, and working towards that. 
and and I suppose personal development as well. You get you gain confidence over time. You become a little bit more, um, you, you know, your risk appetite goes up a little as you feel safer to explore and and you feel that you're getting better and better at doing your job. Well, that was certainly like in my case, um, I felt that that it became in the in the company's best interest um, that I continued to develop and explore and, and create new things. So it was it was kind of fun to be a little bit creative with some of the things that we were doing and and um, and at the time this was a long time ago now um, technology certainly wasn't what it was today and developing websites and things like that was still something new uh, so from that perspective it mm-hmm. was uh, it was really fun to get involved in all of that and learn a lot so learning curiosity of really burning desire to have a positive impact and make a difference not just in my own eyes, but in other people's eyes as well, I think were some of the things that, that helped me get to that point where I left feeling that it was it was okay to leave because I had left something that was worth someone else taking over. Mm. And it's interesting, you've been through like the whole kind of cycle of integrating into the business, finding your feet sifting through, like, you know, trying to find where your best fit is and then leaving. And now having been on the other side, I guess, what tips would you give for um, someone that's thinking through leaving their family business? For me, it was um, perhaps easy and hard at the same time because I didn't leave because of any conflict or because I didn't want to be there I I left the country and so it was a sort of a natural Mm. outcome of of knowing that I was going to leave the country so I think what I would say in in other circumstances where perhaps that isn't the case that you know what are the reasons what is it is it a running away from something or is it being pulled towards something else and if it's a running away from something wow we would probably benefit from just pausing for a moment and figuring out what's really going on here. Uh, And then if it is a pull towards something else, then something else is making your heart sing right now. And I would encourage people to to have conversations either with their direct managers or their family about it either way. Uh, But I think the key is to to start to voice it maybe first with people who have nothing to do with the business, that, hey, I'm I'm thinking about this and these are the reasons why. Um, uh, Because... Mm. It can be it can be very lonely if we feel that it's wrong to leave and we can't really say it to anybody. So right. voicing it and and also getting really curious about the reasons for leaving, I think, are important. That's so profound. Are you running away from something or do you have a pull towards something else? And that mm-hmm. in the chatter, that guilt of, oh, I have to stay, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's it's really difficult to wrestle through. And I'm a bit curious, when you left, did you have any responsibilities from afar or was it a clean kind of you were free with all your time to pursue your passions? So I, I actually left the country um, twice <laughs> and the first time I moved back after two years and I was working full time but from a different country and travelling back and forth between the UK and Denmark and that worked okay but it was not a long-term solution so when I knew I was leaving permanently then we decided that a clean cut was the right way for us to go because we needed someone full-time in my role as as marketing manager and it was my job to recruit my successor Mm -hmm. 
Um, and then many years later, I, I joined the board and still sit on the board. So I have my my responsibilities from from afar now. But uh, that took a long time before that happened. Mm. Mm. And yeah, I think I've you know I've heard so certain, after you. Mm. Sorry, I was just going to say I've heard many constellations of of people who have stayed in consulting roles and and other things. And and I think it's up to the you know the individual business what what works i think the key is to always look at the reasons why right right um and you mentioned when you left your family enterprise there was something missing in the work that you were doing initially that sense of purpose um can you speak more to that and how yeah. you were able then to figure that out yeah so i didn't and know your evolution that- towards the ifb yeah, thank you. I didn't realize that it was purpose that was missing until I joined the IFB, actually. It was, it was funny because I was traveling a lot to places I would never have gone myself. So I felt very blessed to be in a really interesting job, visiting interesting places in the world. And and for some reason, it just it wasn't quite the same because it was my head more than my heart that was engaged. Yeah. And, and then later mm. on, when I joined the IFB, I I realized that working amongst all these family businesses who were so passionate about what they do in the same way that I'd experienced it growing up, it felt like a sense of purpose. And it was was a little bit of an aha moment. I thought, oh, it's purpose that has been missing in these last couple of years. As much as I've enjoyed my time doing what I did, it was was not a heart thing. It was definitely a head thing. And I wanted to do a good job. Mm. But but family business um, as a field makes my heart sing and, and that's why I'm here and that's why I've continued to, to stay in the field. And and I think from what I see, you know, you very quickly know if this field is for you because you either fall in love with all these wonderful businesses or you don't. And for me, it was it was definitely, um, you know, I fell in love with the members and, and wanted to to be part of their journey and wanted to support them in the best way that I knew how. And, and so that's when I realized that actually I'm no longer looking for my purpose. I was searching for it a lot mm. for a few years and, and sometimes it felt like, am I ever going to find it? And and then one day I realized it actually was there when I stopped looking, but that's often mm. the case, isn't it? That's so, that's so interesting. I find that so, so interesting. Um, so many things you said here about the head versus the heart. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, how does that show up today for you? Like in terms of decision-making, how do you ensure that you leave room for heart-centric decisions versus just the head? I think that's a great question, by the way. Um, and I think for me, I, I I feel it, if that makes any sense at all, that, you know, I feel uh, I was defining my business values recently and and I thought, what mm. are the things, you know, I could, I could name many, but what are the things that really feel profound to me um, in terms of what I do? And one of them was gratitude, uh, gratitude for the people mm. that I'm fortunate enough to work with gratitude for the work that I am allowed to do and a sense of gratitude for that being what I do for a living. Um, 
So mm. from that perspective, I think when I feel that sense of gratitude, then I know that my heart is engaged and I know I come at it from a place of I want to serve. And when I feel that, then, right. yeah, it, I know it's the heart thing rather than the head thing. Sometimes you do have to obviously sit down and it is a head thing because you've got to work something out. You've got to come up with a solution to something. Right. Or you have to organize something. And sure, there's lots of room for the mind to get involved. But but I think when you when you sit right. down and you really feel your values, then then you know, yeah, this is it. This is this is where my heart really engages. Amazing. And so, flash forward to you um, being the founder of Avanti Family Business Advisory and really becoming very passionate about the role family dynamics play in multi-generational families. Can you speak more to to that and the work that you've been doing? Thank you. So one of the things that I I noticed in in talking to families was that often they had very elaborate structures in place for how to do things. You know, they had good governance. They had sorted that out, uh, so to speak. and, And yet things were not working 100% the way they they wanted to so you know I'd often speak to them about what what next and uh, whilst I was was at the IFB and we connected them with lots of different people who would would help them on their onward journey and I I started thinking to myself so what is it why is it that you can have all this governance in place and yet people just do something other than what was agreed and I realized it was all these human things like trust and assumptions and mm-hmm. um, fear and all these you know wonderful human emotions that we all come up against whether we have a family business or not but when you have a family business it just becomes that little bit trickier to deal with or more complex and from that perspective I thought there's got to be it's got to be something to looking at the humans here that we've been overlooking a little bit and I'm not suggesting people don't of course not but I think it just needs that bit of extra attention you know sitting down and agreeing on things is a lot harder than it sounds like you know we think we agree and then when we come to writing things down and stuff maybe we don't and maybe we forget to say that because we don't want to be the one to rock the boat so my work has been really focused on on actually getting people to open up and getting them to to speak their truth um, and also to look at themselves and who are they when they walk into the room whether it's a board meeting or a you know, next-gen committee meeting or whatever it may be, you know, what what state do they walk into a room in? Are they making assumptions about everybody else? Are they feeling a lack of confidence in themselves? And what's really going on? So if we can look at what's going on for the individuals. We can look at what's going on in the relationships. Have we all been making assumptions about everybody mm. else so that we don't allow other people to speak? All those kinds of things are things that I look at in my work and that I think are just so super important. It's not the only thing to you know helping people on their journey but I think it's a great place to start and it sets you up for Mm. making agreements that everybody feels comfortable sticking to I believe. No this is major and I think um, too often in the industry we the quantitative is placed on a pedestal above the qualitative and Mm -hmm. it can seem like this is kind of ancillary work like it's just this add-on that you just kind of kind of do um but this is major work it's deep work and Mm. it takes time Mm. it takes a lot of time these things you're talking about speaking your truth how are you carrying yourself and showing up 
allowing for a space and a place where there's inclusivity of different voices. Can you speak to, um, I guess, firstly, um, I, I tend to find that each family member has their own kind of, they know their truth, so to speak, and um, they have assumptions as to what other family members may want. Um, but identifying, firstly, those assumptions you've made about other family members is a lot of work. Clarifying those assumptions and expectations mm-hmm. and then allying on explicit kind of agreement um a lot of the work is is really bringing out the assumed and making explicit agreement amongst family members how do you go about that whole process well it starts with me obviously having a a relationship with the people I talk to they have to trust me enough to open up And as you say, this is not a quick fix. This is not something that you do in a few weeks because trust and um, intimacy in in conversation are not things that are necessarily created overnight. Maybe they are sometimes, but but rarely. Most people take a little time to feel that they can trust another person fully to speak their truth. And, you know, sometimes people may have concerns about how they come across or what might show up. Uh, in conversations with others and so on. So you have to, I think, build the trust from from the beginning with individual family members. And you have to then also start to build um, trust with them as a group, which I think is, is another really mm. interesting point because now you're not just relating to them, they're relating to each other in the process. So it takes time, mm-hmm. yeah, and you've got to really sort of figure out what's going on and... You know, you can obviously start with, I'm sure many of us do, start with questionnaires, followed up by phone calls and meetings and so on. But it, I think it's the it's the quality of the conversation that you have with people and it's also um, right. the, the intentionality to move at their pace. Yes, of course, you will have deadlines and, and so on, but, but not trying to get that uh, constitution um, done in record time or whatever, but literally saying let's let's move at the pace that this family is ready right. to move at, and then we work it out. Um, from what I see, you know, people are so nuanced; okay. they have so many feelings, feelings about the family and the business that you you hadn't even considered, right? I'm sure you've seen that too, and it, they come out in conversations, and mm-hmm. and so it is it is detailed, it is deep because people are sharing their lives with you. And so that kind of humility and, and patience mm-hmm. and and helping the rest of the family also understand that this is this is a, a process, not a destination, not a quick fix, yeah. not a not a specific endpoint. If you know, if we get there, we get there. But what's really important is that we're having these conversations that we're doing the work together. One hundred percent. I think your 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 piece on trust is just so important. Um, and uh, quite often I, I'm working with next gens and they feel like, oh, my parents don't trust me. They're not giving me sufficient mm-hmm. responsibility. But I think this conversation on trust is beyond one of competence and really one mm-hmm. of almost purpose and very, um, yeah, it, it, these heavy topics that um, there has to be safety amongst the family members where mm-hmm. each member can bring to the fore 
the fullness of what's on their head and their heart with respect mm. to matters of the wealth or death of the founder or, you know, the roles and responsibilities, the rewards and the risks mm-hmm. of the family business and the family wealth structure. And in absence of really this deep trust, we won't really be able to share amongst one another what's really on our minds. And mm. um, it can create huge walls between family members and I'm curious because a lot of the listeners are rising gens. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any tips on how can they tr- start to develop trust with, for instance, their parents or their siblings? Like, are there any steps they can take? Um, One of the things that I have found useful is when people get really curious about each other. So I always encourage curiosity. Um, I encourage conversations and curiosity because quite often we think we know our closest family members much better than we actually do. Um, And so starting conversations with your siblings, cousins, parents, whatever it may be, to just start to get to know them better, Um, to to say, you know, ask them about their lives, ask them about their dreams, their passions, their hobbies, the, the things they had planned for their lives or, you know, whatever it is. Just get really curious about other people. Um, and the more interest we show in others, the more they tend to reward us with heightened levels of, of trust, as long as we don't break the trust by criticizing them for what they share, obviously. But in, in a space of open conversation, you can actually move the needle quite a bit by, by showing a genuine interest in someone. Um, and, mm. and one of the things that I was uh, told many years ago when I was trying to help a family and, and there was just... It was an intergenerational thing. Um, I said to someone with many uh, more years of experience than I had, said, what, what can they do uh, in this situation? And, and the person said to me, and I've, I've passed it on to many other people who have found it useful, uh, is that, you know, start the conversation where you can. So you might not be able to start the conversation mm. about what is it that I need to do in order to get more responsibility in my role or why is it that I'm not on the board yet or whatever it may be, but you can start a conversation somewhere else. Mm. Maybe you start a conversation about the company values and you start talking that way and you start to share ideas, you start to share experiences and bit by bit, as things open up, you can start to bring in other conversations about, I wonder if we could do this in my department or that in my role, or I've been thinking about this. And, and so when we don't hold things so so tightly in ourselves where, you know, I'm not going to get anywhere with this question, but I need to ask it, then we're already tense ourselves and then the conversation tends to end up in a, in a tense place. But if we come at it from just an open exploratory conversation and we might start somewhere a little different right. to where we want to go, then there, there often is a way to open things up a bit. Or um, like someone said at a conference I was speaking at um, a couple of weeks ago, he said, you know, sometimes you have to get in the advisor to say what you've been saying all along, but the other people can hear it when it's not you saying it. So, you know, sometimes there is an element of that, that, right. um, that hearing it from someone else, you know, sometimes we're perhaps not the best at listening to our parents and somebody else might say something they've been trying to say for 10 years and we hear it from this third party and they go, but I was saying that all along. You know, maybe we just need to hold gently that sometimes we're not very good at hearing things from the people closest to us. Um, 
And, and if, mm. if there are ways of working around that until we can start to hear each other better, once we establish more of a, an ongoing relationship, then I think that's probably not a bad, a bad tool either. What you just said is just so profound. Like sometimes it's not a case of lack of effective communication. It's that I guess some, there's just familiarity with family members mm. um, and they just can't receive from that person. And it's really making a case for the importance of having someone neutral that's able mm. to, if not necessarily facilitate a conversation, privately coach and guide yeah. Um to know how to deliver and communicate your ideas. Very true. And something else that just dawned on me as we were talking is what if there's an instance where, for instance, I'm a next gen and the founder, the parents are refusing to have conversations on certain matters. What do you, what, what would you say in that instance? I think it's actually back to, because this was exactly the example that I, I, I had with someone who said, it doesn't matter what I ask my dad about, he doesn't want to talk about the business. Um, and mm. and that's when I was given the advice, well, start where you can. And, and sometimes that might be something other than the business that will lead you back to the business. Um, and perhaps also it's worth bearing in mind that, for some founders or some senior leaders, the whole idea of passing things on is a really, really scary thought. It means that I'm coming to mm. the end of something I'm perhaps not ready to come to the end of. It doesn't necessarily mean that, but we often mm. make it mean that in our minds. Um, there was a there was an example of a, this is an example from many years ago, but it's a good one. Uh, there was a mother who was leading a business that her father, no, her mother started. And she had four daughters who were all in their 40s and more than ready to take over. And they just couldn't work out why she wouldn't step aside. Until one time, I don't even know if it was one of them who asked, but somebody asked and she said, well, when my mum retired, she died. So she had associated retirement with mm -hmm. death. And so if we can have the gentleness around the fact that these might be really scary conversations for the senior generation, and let's just start to explore conversations that start somewhere else, bearing in mind that, you know, it's a sensitive subject for everybody. I think that gentleness, holding things gently and asking curious questions um, might just unlock something. Um, but it, it, yeah, obviously isn't an overnight thing usually. Right, right. Wow. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. This has been insightful, I guess. Do you have any um, closing words um, to the listeners? What I would just like to say to everybody is that, you know, I, I take my hat off and, and I salute all family businesses because um, they deserve a lot of praise <laughs> for what they do. And if they can then also find a little bit of patience with themselves and each other in the process of working things out on the ownership side um, and and celebrate all the wins as well as um, finding mm. solutions to the challenges, then I think um, they will continue to be extremely successful for generations to come. Incredible. And if anyone would like to get hold of you, how best can they reach you? Uh, I am on LinkedIn quite a bit and 
I've also got an email address and a website. Uh, so Elizabeth at avanti-fba.com is a really good way to reach out. Um, and I'll be happy to hear from anybody who has any questions or, or comments. And so thank you so much for awesome. having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. I loved that conversation with Elizabeth. Oh, I could go on and on and on and on. And I loved her really peeling back the onion and sharing the psycho-emotional dimensions of being a successor, frankly, and all the challenges that come with that, all the many questions one asks himself, am I enough? Did I deserve to be here? What impact am I really making after all? And I loved her personal kind of, her quest that she went on, her quest towards her ever-evolving purpose, but finding her purpose within the family enterprise system. And frankly, it is a system. And that's what I wanted to really unpack is this intersection between the, the system of self, the system of the family and the system of business. And too often, um, we it's really easy to give language to the system of business because it is very black and white. It is very quali- quantitative oriented. It is very measurable. However, it's very difficult to give language, particularly to the system of self. Um, and as a next generation member, how do you articulate It might be um, very nebulous in your mind, all the challenges that you're grappling with. Um, You may feel like your questions and your concerns are not even legitimate because you're supposedly a person of affluence and of of um, of means of of uh, you are supposedly the one that won the, the lottery of birth. Right. So. Why, why, why are you having, why are you grappling with so many existential questions? But frankly, um, these are very common challenges that successes face and your challenges are, are valid, right? They really are. And a book that I've been reading recently that I found incredibly, just incredible, that gives such great language to this nebulous field that I'm kind of speaking about is by Kristen Keffler, The Myth of the Silver Spoon. It is phenomenal. It is incredible. I would love to bring Kristen on to really unpack like how and why and like (laughs) everything that's in there. Um, Not promising, but that's like putting it out into the universe goals. Um, But I'd recommend you read it to deal with this evolution of self and discovering who you are and discovering, really finding the inner money scripts in your mind and scripts that you might have um, embedded with respect to wealth and money and and the power dynamics in your family enterprise that you may not be even conscious of, right? I definitely, definitely recommend you, you read that. Another thing that Elizabeth said that I think is so apt, and I'm I'm seeing a lot of this, is a lot of successes that are leaving their family enterprises or thinking of leaving their family enterprises. And there's a feeling of excitement in one hand. Yes, I get to do what I want to do that I, I am fully in control of, that I can see the impact I'm making. But on the other hand, a feeling of immense guilt, like oh, I, am I going to be seen as a traitor? Am I going to be seen as a betrayer? 
navigating that tension is so difficult. I would recommend if you're dealing with these questions, one of two things, getting community with other next gens where you can explore these questions with. Um, you'd be surprised there'd be other people in the room that have navigated this or are navigating this and can validate your reality or provide you with some mentorship, some guidance, some tips on how to navigate the season. Second thing is to look for a Sherpa, someone that's been down this mountain before, um, a mentor, a coach that can help you bring give you just self-awareness as to what's going on and um, give that third eye a third perspective to help you go down the mountain safely so those would be my two cents if that's you um thank you so so much as always for tuning in take good care and god bless you